This episode is proudly sponsored by Independent Unit Management, offering comprehensive property services trusted by over 8,000 property owners. IUM enhance, manage and protect New South Wales properties statewide, ensuring you have the power to protect not only your individual investment, but the collective strata asset. We're very thankful for Jeff at IUM for being the founding sponsor of MyPeak. Contact Jeff and the team of strata managers at ium.com.au. Today's episode is also proudly sponsored by property law firm DMC Lawyers. DMC is offering 10% off for all MyPeak community members. They're a local law firm operating out of Gregory Hills, specializing in commercial leasing and commercial and residential conveyancing. Dino is also an invested MyPeak member. Contact Dean and the team at DMC Lawyers on 0456 970 507. Let's get into it. G'day and welcome back to the MyPeak podcast. We're athlete coaches specializing in cricket through holistic development. We focus on you as a whole to reach your peak performance. My peak stands for pre-elite athlete creation. In this podcast, we give you the tools to transform from the pre-elite to the elite. Today's episode, we are diving into a bit of cricket awareness and strategy with the brown dog. How are you, brother? Yeah, good, mate. Good. How's, how's things with you? Yes, very good, mate. A lot of cricket going on at the moment and hence why we're going to go through this topic today because we've been watching a lot of cricket since we're not playing cricket ourselves and we've just noticed a few things that go on in a game of cricket and want to talk through the impact that some things in a game of cricket can have on uh, batters, bowlers, fielders, captains, the opposition, strategy and all of these things that we think we can bring to your attention today. I like it. I'm excited for this episode. Um, We've been having... Um, some chats down at my peak training on a Friday, particularly about trying to get our athletes implementing things that they do well at training uh, into their games, which can be obviously quite um, scary at times, especially when there's risk involved and performance and games are on the line. But looking forward to hopefully nutting out a few more ways that we can feel a little bit more confident as we um, come outside our comfort zone and and try a few things out on the uh, cricket wicket. So what we're going to do is we're just going to mention something that might happen in a game, whether that's a batter doing something, a bowler doing something, and then just talk about a few things that might be able to be adapted or slightly changed in accordance to something that does happen in a game. And two things, hopefully it encourages the person to do that thing that we said you can do but also start to encourage, especially fielders, I think will be a common one we talk about here, to watch the game with a little bit more open-minded and start to identify these things that happen in a game and then how you can just adapt and make these little changes that are going to, they won't necessarily win or lose you a game, but how they can just help influence what it is you're trying to do. Just put the odds in your favor a little bit more often and make it a little bit harder for the opposition to achieve whatever it is they're trying to achieve as well. A bit like a game of chess, Weary. Yes. Moving the pieces around in the field, trying to come up with a strategy, and then sometimes, and you know, it often happens, that something will happen in the game, fielder will uh, move um, into a different position, batter will take a gif- different guard, bowler will come over around the wicket. There might be no sort of strategy or plan behind it, but all of a sudden you've got to think, what's this? Um, why are they doing this? How do I have to change? And sometimes there's no change at all. Sometimes it's just, you know, the game of chess involving cricket, just trying to come up with some sort of strategy and some sort of plan that can 
I suppose, rattle the opposition or just, just start to upset their rhythm a little bit. Yeah, I think I've watched a bit of cricket recently where there's been a lot of like plans have been set in place, but then a lot of reliance on the opposition making a mistake. And yes, that's going to happen in the game of cricket, but these little changes are going to be things that might encourage the batter or the bowler or that fielder to make that mistake more often. You're starting to get them to do things that will... Um, if they do execute, then good on them, but that doesn't take as much of a mistake for them to come undone and for you to get that opportunity that you're trying to get out of that, like I said, batter, bowler, field, or whatever that situation is. So do you think it's fear that is stopping the proactiveness um, or do you think it's more just not actually understanding on how to be proactive? So you're saying you know, you've been watching some cricket where they're just relying on the opposition to make a mistake is that because the uh, captain of the, let's say, fielding team, for example, are uh, unsure how to proactively try and get batsmen out? Or do you think there's fear in making an error? Oh, I think it's a bit of both. Mainly the first one. It's just awareness. It's not necessarily up to the captain, too. The captain's got a lot on their plate. I think it's more just like, and we talk about it a lot, about owning your position in the field. Like, you might be set to deep forward square leg, but what happens in a game might determine whether you're five metres in front of square, whether you're just behind square, whether you're on the boundary, whether you're just off the boundary. Mm. Just these little things that, like I said, will influence the batter's mind and skew the odds in your favour. So I think it's just understanding, and that's why we're doing this podcast today, understanding how these little changes and how you can make a little difference in what you're doing make a big difference in what the opposition's thinking at that particular time. So you want us as athletes to put ownership on ourselves as well. So it's not up to necessarily the bowler or the captain to keep us aware on these things. It's stuff that we should be aware of in the game and make adjustments on the bounce, essentially. Oh, definitely. That's what good cricketers do. And it's not, you don't want to be standing at deep backwards square leg and then all of a sudden think to yourself, oh, this batter's not going to hit it out to me, so I'm going to come inside the ring. And we're not telling you to do that. You still want to be... Uh, listening to your captain and being part of the strategy that the bowlers try and execute as well but just these little subtle differences mm. that are, you can actually watch and be a part of the game for every ball that will allow you to understand why you can make these or how you can make these changes and instead of just being another fielder on the field or another clog in that like you said piece of the puzzle where you can actually watch the game while we're playing it and we're talking about fielders here, but we're also talking about batters and bowlers as well, and it's very similar strategy involved. Well, shall we get into these little details and, and start um, giving a little bit more information on how the athletes can, can go and practically implement these little changes to put them hopefully one step ahead of the game? Absolutely. What should we do first? Well, I think off air you were talking about one that's quite common and one that um, I'm seeing... You know, and this probably comes back to the question I asked you. Is it fear or is it awareness? And this one is probably more fear. And I think it's using our feet well to spinners. Mm. So, you know, for example, at the moment, um, coaching a rep side where batters are struggling to trust what they do at training, come out of the um, crease or go deep into their crease and try and create different lengths from the spinner. And anyone who's been around junior cricket knows the spinners can be um, very beneficial in drying up the scoreboard, um, which is something that's happening pretty regularly in the games that I'm watching. So 
maybe we dive into um, what it looks like for batters to proactively move around the crease and then off the back of that, what bowlers and fielders might do to adjust. Yeah, beautiful. Let's first, let's touch on Brownie, you're a spinner. Mm. Because let's like, as a batter moving around the crease, let's flip it on the other side. If you're bowling to a batter that's not using their feet, yep. what are you thinking as a bowler? Well, I'm thinking that I, I don't have to change much at all. My plan A... Um, is in place and um, I'm not having to adjust too much I'm not always even thinking about necessarily wickets Um, if the batter's not moving around the crease I'm thinking that my number one um, point of call is just to continue to build pressure because my best ball my stock ball is going to basically be a defensive shot yeah so as a batter I'm not challenging you to do much in that instance you're not making me think outside my um, normal game plans I can run in pretty much execute my best ball you know, if I you know get to a certain level where I'm doing that 90% of the time, my economy is going to be good and hopefully scoreboard pressure alone will start to build up the batter taking um, uncharacteristic risks and then that's pretty much just going to fall straight into a wicket, hopefully. That yeah, would. and I think something the batters don't think about in this instance as well is you're actually giving the bowler a bigger margin for error. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, especially just with my field placings, like... You've got your default field set in place, the field that you always start your spell in essentially 90% of the time. And like you said, Cam, I could miss my length slightly full, slightly short, um, and I'm probably going to get away with it. So Awesome. All right, now I'm batting or the batter's batting and they start to use their feet. They've come down to a few balls, perhaps gone deep in their crease as well. But more importantly, we'll talk about dancing down the wicket in this mm. instance. Mm. What changes in your mind as a bowler just by me running down. I might not even hit them for four. I might get one boundary away or I might just hit a couple of nice shots, get a couple of singles. What changes in your mind as a bowler? Yeah, honestly, pretty much everything changes when the batter starts to become proactive. Uh, Starting to reconsider my field, starting to reconsider my lines, starting to reconsider my pace. Am I trying to get someone off strike? Am I trying to hit trying to get them to hit to a certain part of the ground. So straight away, just by the proactiveness of the batter, I almost have to reconsider everything that I'm doing as a spinner, um, particularly if um, they're going forward and back. That's where it gets dangerous. Awesome. So like I said at the start of the episode, we want to try and get two points across. One, the importance and how much of an influence that actual change can have on the game. So in this instance, batters using the feet. But now let's also get into what else might change in the game. So um, obviously, Brownie touched on a couple of things. What are those little things that you would actually change straight away as soon as batters start to use their feet? Would it be an instant change? Would you give yourself a few more balls? Would you wait to see a boundary? What would happen in your mind? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So obviously, if a batter's trying to be proactive early doors, you allow them to do that um, because I guess they don't have conditions summed up yet. Um, they're probably not accustomed to how I'm bowling or yeah, just they're, they're probably not set in their game plan yet. So you are allowing it to happen for a period of time. But as soon as it starts to become consistent success for the batter, that's, that's when I'm starting to change a few things. The first thing I'll usually change is my pace. So speed things up or slow things down um, a little bit more regularly just to try and upset that rhythm. Um, but if they you know, somehow conquer that as well, that's when you're starting to change your field placing. So asking them to hit to certain parts of the ground maybe trying to get them off strike and bowl at someone else. Um, you then sort of a, you're almost trying to um, ask the batter to make their own mistake rather than create good balls as well because they're being proactive. Good. So first thing you want to see is 
the batter actually execute. Yeah, yeah, batter needs to execute. Like, there's no point if they're dancing down and, and missing, and um, you know, keepers dropped a couple of balls behind. I'm not changing anything. Good. And then once they've executed a couple of times, you're asking them to execute off slightly different balls. So yep. changing your speed yep. slightly. Speed is number one. Speed is always number one that you will change just to try and upset rhythm, try and keep them in their in their crease as much as possible. Defending from the crease is pretty much how you want every batter playing when you're bowling spin. Good, and then once they execute again, then we start to change our field. We can Spot drop on. a couple of sweepers straight if they're using their feet or maybe a couple of sweepers square of the wicket, maybe both, obviously, depending on the stage of the game. So that's a little, that's a good little process there for spinners in this instance to go through. Let's see batters actually execute this plan that they're using their feet. Once they do that, let's see if we can make some subtle variations and see if they can still execute. And then if they do that, now let's change our field and perhaps make the batter play a different shot now or challenge the batter to play the same shot and only perhaps get one for it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the longer you bowl at someone too, the more you're starting to pick up on their weaknesses. So, you know, if you are asking them to do a few different things, you know, try and um, change that pace or try and get them to hit here or try and get them to come down the crease to certain balls. When you've got the field set for that, you start to identify weaknesses. And, and once you sort of target in on one of those, it's um, sort of game on again. Um, they sort of, they, they may have got you, um, you know, sort of first punch, but, you know, you're about to return serve. You may find something in their armor that you're ready to exploit as well. Awesome. All right. That's, that's very good. I like that. Now let's touch on, we've done batting and bowling mindsets there from changes. Now let's talk about a few different things in the field so batter comes out um or comes out of their crease starts to use their feet what might you be thinking as a fielder perhaps if you're in front of the wicket like well i might i might do i might do in front of the wicket here cam in the ring and then maybe you can do in the ring uh sorry uh on the boundary and then maybe even behind um behind the wicket somewhere so if we're in the ring and someone's coming down i think your first thing that you're trying to identify is the second they start to use their feet, anticipation, you know you're in the game. So ball's gone up. As a spinner, they've started to use their feet. Anticipation goes through the roof and you're getting ready to basically um, cut off the angle or even run an angle. So if I'm anywhere from cover, mid-wicket, mid-on, mid-off, as soon as they're using their feet, I'm expecting the ball 100% of the time. Um, and I'm probably even coming a little bit more towards the non-strikers and stumps because you know the balls aren't going to go um, square as regularly. So you can make small adjustments in the field just by your positioning, but then also anticipation goes through the roof as well. I love that. I think that's something extremely underrated, especially in junior formats where obviously as a fielder, you're taught to expect the ball every time and that's easier said than done especially, like I said, for junior formats when there's 240, 300 balls in a game. But identifying moments where it's even more likely that you're going to get the ball is already putting yourself one step ahead. If mm. batters are using their feet, you're at cover, mid-wicket, mid-off, mid-on, and the balls, you know, the batters are coming down the wicket, you know the ball's very likely to come towards you. And just you being, like Brownie said, anticipating the ball and expecting the ball to come to you, you're already a step ahead of what you were the ball before that without identifying that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And something that I um, tried to do um, when I was playing was I would I would try and get the batter to hit the ball away from me because I think if you can be um, clinical in the field and actually, you know, for example, make this practical, 
if I was a, a short cover or a short mid-wicket and long on or long off were back behind me, if I was cutting off regularly their single option down the ground, they I would basically be asking them to try and hit the single on the other side of the ground, you know, try and hit the ball away from me. So straight away, just by me playing an impact in the field, I might be asking them to play against a spin. I might be asking them to play um, in a position that's not their strength. You know, maybe they're really good, you know, down towards mid on a flick shot and they're, you know, struggling a little bit going through the offside. But if I'm cutting down their single option regularly, they're going to have to look elsewhere. So it's just a, a huge part of the game that you can, um, not only save runs and build energy, but actually ask the batter to do something they may not be comfortable with. Yeah, awesome. And then on the flip side, field is square of the wicket. I think it's important then to identify, like Brownie said when he's bowling, first he wants to see batters execute, but then he's going to change his pace through the air. He might slow one up or speed one up. So it's important then if you're fielding square of the wicket mm. and Brownie's then slowed one up, it's landed in the same spot, but the batter's got deep in their crease and it's a good piece of batting. Now you're in the game even more and you can then expect to see different types of shots come to you as opposed to batters that just sit in the crease the whole time. So now you're going like a level further and you're thinking, okay, this batter's using their feet down the wicket. Perhaps they're going to get something shorter and a bit slower coming. Now that's what's going to get me in the game. And it might be a more attacking style of shot or they might be coming down the wicket and Brownies beat them in their speed. So they're probably going to dead bat it, making sure now I'm in on the single. So just these little things where you're thinking not just for that ball, but perhaps the ball ahead or two balls ahead and how the ball is going to come to you. Mm, I like that. Do you want to double click on maybe some outfielding? Yeah. I think just like, outfielding for me the biggest thing for awareness is the depth of the outfielder mm. something that i've been seeing a lot is just probably lack of awareness on where to be on the boundary being a boundary fielder doesn't necessarily mean you have to have your back foot on the boundary as the ball's released or just inside whatever the ruling is um i'm seeing so many um twos to deep fielders these days because i think we're not understanding the importance of being five ten meters off the rope Something that we probably take for exam, um, for granted at a bit more of a higher level of cricket where fielders are just aware of these things, but particularly for batters on strike two, mm. trying not to get the in-batter back on strike, trying to cut down um, you know, twos to that deep fielder for whatever reason it might be, just being five or ten metres in, anticipation, bang, you've saved yourself, you know, let's say five or six metres, which is a huge difference between the batter feeling like they can take on a, a throw or not, so... I don't know, Cam, you spent a lot of time on the boundary, particularly in the T20s. Um, what's some of the things that go through your mind, particularly when there's a spinner on? Yeah, so bringing it back to this instance where batters are using the feet again, if you're straight fielding basically long on, long off, you know you're going to be in the game. Perhaps, as we know, like we teach batters, using your feet can speed everything up, speed your hands up to get a bit more mm. power through the ball. So mm. if batters are running, you probably are sitting a little bit deeper. Mm. But then like going away a little bit from this example of batters using their feet, then you're also looking at batter's strengths, identifying is this batter trying to hit a boundary? Are they just trying to get off strike? Are they trying to get turn their ones into twos here to keep the other batter on strike? Whatever the case may be. They're little things that you're also looking for, and they might come up in a few more examples moving forward today. Yeah, cool. We didn't actually double-click on the batting instance here. So let's say, for example, um, Cam, you're batting, and you've come out to the crease, and you're facing a spinner. 
Um, and like I said before, I just want to be able to go through plan A, roll my stock ball out, get you defending often. Why would you be trying to use your feet and how would you be trying to use your feet to basically change my plan? Yeah, definitely. It's basically everything that we said about Brownie trying to adapt to batters using their spin. That's why we do it. You're trying, perhaps in some instance, you are trying to play a particular shot because that's your strength. Perhaps you are good at hitting straight down the ground. But other times, like, I think the two best spinners I've, um, batters of spin that I used to love growing up watching were Mike Hussey and Michael Clark. Mm, definitely. And Michael Clark, even in particular, he would sometimes run down the wicket a couple of times, not get a run, but then two balls later, he's cut one for four. Mm, yeah, that's and it. There's no rocket science to it. You've changed the, what the bowler's doing to get what you want to do. And Michael Clark was particularly strong square of the wicket hitting that cut shot so he's just putting like i said at the start of the episode putting the chances in his favor a little bit more by doing something that yeah he might score off those balls straight but he might not but as a result he's got what he wanted and off the flip side of that like we said when bowlers make these changes you're forcing batters then to have to go to plan b and plan c perhaps well this is doing that straight away as a bowler they're waiting to see batters execute and whatnot as a batter you're forcing the bowler to go to perhaps plan b or plan c straight away and perhaps after one or two balls they're already perhaps thinking about what what i'm doing rather than what they're doing and when that happens that's bowlers are more likely to make a mistake i think there is a bit of rocket science to it because i have chats frequently about um, facing spinners and trying to change their length and it's still something that we probably have to reinforce a little bit more um, how often, like, let's say, for example, when did it start to become like a set process or a set game plan for you, Cam, that you were trying to, let's say, come down the wicket a couple of times and then you know you can anticipate something a little bit shorter and get on the back foot? Like, is that something you implemented early in junior career or was that something you implemented down the track, you know, into grade cricket? Well, before you say perhaps it is rocket science, I still don't think it is. I think that's the whole point of today's episode because batters and young players just need to be more aware of how important it actually is yeah. and how big of an influence it can have and like the theme here has been it's not just on that one ball that makes the difference it's moving forward and getting the odds in your favor for a longer period of time rather than sitting in your crease and giving the opposition or the bowler the odds in their favor for a long period of time so i'm not too sure when i started but whatever the answer is it answer would still be i wish i started a lot earlier yeah definitely and touching on my experience it's i used to do it a lot more to leg spinners i didn't mm. particularly like playing leg spinners especially good leg spinners that could spin the balls both ways so my whole strategy was to get down the wicket perhaps i'm not scoring off the balls but just so they start to bowl shorter and i can score off the back foot i used to love getting anything short and off the stumps that's less likely to get me out plus more likely to me to score off that particular ball so for me it wasn't necessarily using my feet to get down the ground it was more to get the bowler to bowl away from the stumps and then cut. i can't get lbw <laughs> and i can start to cut so yeah it's little things like that and obviously everyone's a little bit different yeah. perhaps you're perhaps you want to get your sweep shot into the game mm, more mm. so you might be looking to use your feet or use your feet back a little bit more so they start to bowl fuller and uh, more towards the stumps and they miss their line and then mm. you can start to sweep whatever that option is 
you just it's trying to get like i keep saying the odds in your favor what can the what changes can i make that aren't going to make a big difference in me i'm not increasing the risk too much but it's going to force a change on the bowler and then as a result that's going to decrease the risk a lot for me yeah that's a really good point because the thing i think about straight away is going back to playing cricket with you cam your strength obviously was you cutting the ball balls off the stumps using the pace throwing your hands through it where vice versa i'm probably a little bit different to you if i'm facing a spinner i'm using my feet trying to get as close to the line of the balls i can to hit it into the leg side off my pads was my strength try and pick up runs between the wickets forcing the bowler to go wider and then my boundary option was down the ground so as soon as i could free my hands because i pushed them wider i could i could take that on so there's a really clear difference straight away cam and i are both using our feet down the wicket but for two totally different reasons two totally different balls we're trying to create from the bowler absolutely all right that's we've just i don't know how long we've spoken about that for but that's just one like batter using their feet mm. and we just spoke for like 15 minutes or whatever it was about how many things can actually change and we could we could still yeah, talk about it and there's go. also a couple of other things like even the opposition's captain's thought process will definitely. change as well so a lot of these things will change off the back of one little decision that doesn't unless you're premeditating the the ball too much that doesn't have if any greater risk for you as a batter but all of these things are going to change as a result well let's do another example before we move into a bit of a scenario let's just say the batter has good sweeps and reverse sweeps yeah nice so maybe we attack it let's start from fielding first um i think we'll probably double up on a few of the things we said um in the last um scenario but i'd be interested to hear your thoughts here cam like you field in slips a fair bit too Mm -hmm. um spinners so like what's going through your mind when you start to see the sweep shot come out maybe maybe not so much from an anticipation point of view but maybe just a thought process yeah do you mean when i'm in slips yeah yeah is there anything that you're thinking about differently i mean like you see guys now on um on tv like the bowler the batsman yeah. goes down to paddle the oh, the first slip ends up at leg slip yeah, like, are yeah you thinking yeah about those i things? definitely you definitely are i think ultimately if you're at first slip and the batter's reversing then the batter's batter's probably making the wrong decision in that time because your gap if there's if there's a point in first slip you're you haven't got much mm. much to work with so a little bit different there but yeah sweeping definitely you as soon as you see batters shape up a sweep you're moving down the leg side and like we say the chances of you actually getting the ball in that instance are very low but perhaps it's just that little head start taken off that might turn a two into a one or a three into a two or just the thought process might if they're doing that and they know they might only get one for it, they might put it away. So mm. just little things like that. But I think more importantly for the square, the wicket fielders, point mid-wicket, 45s on both sides, deep deep um, cover point, deep forward square leg, any types of those fielders, as soon as you see the sweep shot, you're, you're already coming finer or square if you're yeah. in front of the wicket. So you're, you know that once the ball is hit, it's going to go square or fine, and it's only going to get squarer or finer as the ball travels. Meaning to the it'll boundary. be spinning. Yeah. yeah, the ball will be spinning and making its way down towards the sight screen at the other end. Mm-hmm. So straight away, you know, I can start to square up. And then the second element of that, and this is something I've seen a lot of over the past few years coaching in junior cricket, especially, 
is then identifying where you run. <laughs> I think as soon as a batter sweeps, you, if you follow the boundary, you're going to be running a long way. Definitely. Unless they've absolutely crunched it. Um, but you know you can cut an angle because the ball, like we said, is just going to keep making its way finer and finer. So you can start to cut an angle and that will make a big difference. That could turn a four into two, two into one, a three into two, whatever that case is. So straight away, your angles in the field, you know where you run is going to change as well. So that's one little change. As soon as you see a sweep, as a fielder, you can already make a couple of changes in your position and your mindset too. Yeah, that's good. I think if we want to touch on the bowling point of view now. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty basic for fielders. Like, I don't think if you're in front of the wicket and a batter sweeps, I don't think you need to change too much because at the end of the day, that's probably half the reason you or a batter is perhaps playing the sweep. Um, you still want to make sure if the batter's hitting straight, they're still you're making it hard for him to hit straight, but it's more those square of the wicket. But the field where you have fielders might change, and that's where it will come into the bowler and also the captain. Yeah, so if we start to approach it from a bowling scenario, I think first thing I'm thinking of when a batter starts to sweep either side of the wicket is... You like it. You're not against it in any way. You know, you're very happy to see the batter sweep early. Um, there's always an element of risk, um, particularly without sort of the understanding of the conditions yet or pace and, and things like that. So it's it's it, you really don't have to change too much early. Similar to someone coming down the wicket, you want to see them execute it, maybe even a little bit more so than coming down the ground. Because you know, the risk is a bit higher. The risk is much higher. So if, you know, they execute it maybe three or four times you're probably starting to look to change things up and it's also dependent on the format if you're playing a t20 then perhaps it's maybe only once or twice but if you're playing a one day or three or four if you're playing red ball cricket you're playing two day cricket then it might be a hundred percent yeah scenario based obviously trying to average it out around you know a few executions and not half half executions like you're talking out of the middle of the bat confident looking stroke Mm -hmm. It's a strength of theirs. Once you've identified it's a strength of theirs, that's when you you start to think, am I going to try and get them out with their strength? So Mm. are they going to it too often? You know, something that they're trying to force it almost with balls that don't really require you to be sweeping. If that's the case, you start to change your pace and your line to make it a little bit more difficult. Mm. So sweep someone who's, let's say, just regularly sweeping to the leg side very often, almost premeditating the sweep. Maybe they're not picking um the way the ball's going they're not confident using their feet so they're like i'm just going to sweep no matter what that's what i'm confident enough to do change your pace you can either attack the stumps with a bit of extra pace um try and get them caught lbw or bold or you start to go slower wider make it really difficult for them to try and create any pace square so it depends if if they're going to it too often if they're not they're just nailing it when the ball presents itself it's almost as much as plug and play like put that fielder out there take the boundary option away for them and then start to ask them to do something different yeah perfect that is awesome and that's similar mindset if you're the captain of the fielding team you want to be thinking about these things too obviously if you're captain in you're trying to think about thinking like a bowler all the time so this also applies to the captain of the fielding team and i think that's a another little bit of a process around what we actually do when we're at the top of our or more importantly when you're walking back to the top of your mark okay that batter has now executed it three or four times now i might either look at changing my speed or pace because i can feel an error is coming and i want them to still think about the shot or 
no, hold on, this batter's actually executing this really well. Good shot selection, good execution. Now let's plug that up, put a couple of sweepers out and see if they want to hit me down the ground or or um, hit me off the back foot or whatever that change is that the batter will perhaps force rather than um, playing a shot they would normally play. It's a good time to transition now, I reckon, Cammy, into, well, why would a batter be trying yeah, to do it? good. So, obviously, we've the I finished by saying um, we'll plug a fielder there and um, we're going to have to basically stop uh, him or her from hitting to that area. Well, the benefit of that is there's a gap somewhere else now. Definitely, and that's... Coaching in the female setup, this is even more prevalent because um, female cricket, you're only allowed four sweepers out. So if you can sweep or reverse, you can already plug up one, maybe even two mm. sweepers mm. in positions that they need to be rather than being somewhere else. And that opens up scoring options elsewhere. I know like Phoebe Litchfield, who plays both sweep and reverse really well, can be an absolute nightmare to bowl to because you've already got two sweepers in places for one shot, and you've, she's got all of these other shots that mm. she executes as well. So as a batter's mindset, like similar again, it's not just that one ball that you're trying to score off, but it's also where can we move fielders. Perhaps it's you're trying to score and it's the conditions are tough, they're bowling well, and you're, your options are getting more and more limited. Well, then perhaps let's just go to one option it might not work, but as a result, they might make that change that frees up somewhere else. And as Brownie said, it won't happen all the time because some bowlers will like to see it three or four times executed, but other bowlers, they might not be so patient. They might make a change straight away. Yeah, and the change, like you said, Cam, will depend on the format. Like if you're in a T20 game and you're in your first or second over as a spinner, chances are, you know, you're getting out of the power play, then the game's moving on. You don't really want to let the game drift. You're probably making that change pretty quickly. So, yeah, the the format of the game usually determines how many times you'll have to execute it um, to get the field to move, like you said. And then also, like we said earlier, with the footwork to spin, it's not just moving the field, it's also changing the bowler's line and length. Yeah, so. definitely. They might try and bowl fuller, then all of a sudden you can use your feet and hit them over their head. So it's not just movement in the field, it's also movement in the bowler's line and length. Or perhaps it's move, It's just like a mindset thing. It's just trying to encourage the bowler to try and bowl something different. Again, when they're thinking about making changes or worried about what the batter's doing, they're more likely to make a mistake. And then that's where you can... Just a little thing about getting off strike might be all you need in that instance to get... um the set batter in or, or on strike I should say and get your momentum of your innings started I like it I'll, maybe a quick scenario just to make this really practical let's say I've got four fielders out let's say female cricket for example four fielders out deep cover deep mid wicket deep mid on deep mid off and you want to sweep um, let's say no let's put you in a different shoe it's You're, also four sweepers out it's also like male cricket Middle over middle over, yeah, too. yeah, yeah. So, very good example. So, you're the fielding captain, Cam. I'm the batter. I've reverse sweep twice. What change are you going to make? I'm the sorry, I'm the captain. you're the fielding captain. So, yeah. I've reverse swept the ball twice because I'm trying to manipulate the field, get you to change. Let's say off spin is on. Yeah. What do you what decision are you making? So, the off spin's a big component of it because off spin, you've probably got five on the leg side and only four on the off side all of a sudden someone reverses, you probably only got, in the middle overs, you probably got a point, backward point, and no one behind them. 
probably a good reason why the batter is reverse sweeping. All of a sudden, you will, or I would be more more um, encouraged to take out perhaps your square leg or your second mid wicket that's on that leg side and plug up that gap on the offside. So now you've only got four on the offside, on the onside where the ball's spinning, because you're trying to plug a gap on the offside. Yeah. So which, which is pretty much exactly what I would be trying to get you to change. So you obviously haven't changed anyone on the fence. You've tried to plug up in the ring, which just allows me to shuffle across my crease, use my um, back leg to drop the ball into the leg side. Easy, simple, low risk rotation of the strike. Perfect. The probably the other one that you might change depending on how you perceive the batter, you might if you have a deep cover point, you might then just have a deep backward point yep. and your bat and your normal point that's in the ring might then be your forty five on the offside. But then obviously that's probably even better as a batter because even now better. you can just block the ball on the offside and you get one. Well the benefit is of that too. Now your cover drive or your um, getting back deep in your crease and cutting is now a boundary option yep. rather than one. Yeah. So just by playing a couple of unorthodox shots, I've created potentially an easy an easy single option or a fairly comfortable boundary option that most people would be able to execute. Yeah, so that's probably a couple of little changes that the fielding team are going to make. So as a batter, we're, again, trying to encourage you to uh, play these shots. And like the theme I said a couple of times now of this podcast is just playing the long game. It's not just effective for that ball because it might be effective, but it might not be. But moving forward, the next ball, the next over, the even that whole spell of the bowler's mindset is going to change just by you having the awareness and having also a bit of courage and a bit of trust to uh, implement these little things that will ultimately, like we said, make big changes in the game. I think it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, that these tactics are to be practiced first at training. Speak to your coach, speak to the bowlers, uh, make sure... You know, you're setting fields and start to practice these things, gain your confidence from your preparation, going out into the game and saying, well, I heard Cam and Geordie talk about if I reverse sweep, I'll move a fielder here, but I've never practiced reverse sweep before. Probably isn't the best option. So get your reps in uh, and then you can start to play around with these things at training. Go and execute them in a game. Definitely. That's great advice. And also, we I would encourage you to, also, like, even in net sessions, you can start to think about these things if you're putting yourself in uh, these more game-like situations, even in net sessions. Imagine the field, ask the field or the bowler what their field is, and then you can start to just make a few of these changes and see how the bowlers react. Yes, Definitely. it can be a little bit harder in the nets, uh, particularly if you've got a couple of different bowlers bowling and you're only facing that one bowler every two, three or four balls. But it's better than nothing. Exactly right. And it's you're only going to get better at it the more you do it. So it's the quicker you can start doing it now, the better you're going to get at it. And then easier it will be to implement that into your game. All right. Going off the whole strategy and awareness theme today, and I really like how you mentioned, Cam, that these things that we implement are for long-term success. And that's what we're going to talk about now. We're getting down to the back end of the overs where we've invested in a few different tactics, let's say earlier in the game. And now we're down to a scenario where we need 30 runs off 30 balls. You're the batting team. Mm. Six down you are, Cam. Ooh. Okay, what, and I'm not going to go too much into, um, you know, who's bowling and what type because I want you to talk about that. What kinds of things are you thinking about at a runner ball? Let's say you're at Greenshield level, for example. 
I think that you know around that 16 mark, that's a pretty good average age. How are you getting the team home? What's some of the things you're running uh, in your mind tactically? Yeah. Great question. I think a few things. The biggest question first is who's batting at the time. Great. So, like the oppo- opposite end non-striker. Yeah. So who's in? Like, have you got a set batter in? Have you got perhaps two new batters? Have you got two batters that have been in for the I'm same gonna, amount I'm gonna, of time? I'm going to keep jumping in here and you can yeah. answer as you go. So let's say it's a set batter. What, how does that change? You're so, both set. Yeah, good. So, or both set. You're set and the other batter down the other end is also set. Oh, okay. So that that's the least change. Yep. So I think that's where you obviously still want to be thinking about the game, but that's where you ha- you can do least amount of Trusting thinking. both ends yeah. to score runs. That's right. If you've only got one set batter in, you want to be the person there at the end. Yep. So perhaps if there's people coming in and there needs to be a risk taken, they can take the risk. Good. But ultimately, if you've got players coming in, they you want to be getting the set batter on strike. Yep. So let's say what happens when wickets start to fall? Are you, um, yes, you're trying to be there at the end, which is awesome. You're trying to steer the innings home, but... When do you start farming, farming strike? Yeah, yeah. I think farm, farming strike's probably not the right answer. I think trying to face as many balls as you can is the right yeah, answer. Gotcha. So you're counting balls. You know the first two, three balls in the over, you perhaps, and I, I was going to use the word risk, but be more attacking, be mm. more positive. And then the back end of the over, get your single and make sure you're on strike at the other end. And then if you're the batter coming in, you're also aware of that. And if you're facing the last ball of the over yes a single would be great but then it gets you back on strike maybe you're looking at perhaps a boundary option or maybe you're looking at hitting when you do hit it or if you do hit it to a sweeper let's try and get back for two and your partner's backing up a little bit more and you're taken off and if you run into the danger end then perhaps it's you can go for that one that you might not normally go for because if you get run out we've still got four wickets in hand and we can have a batter come in. Obviously, if it's one or two wickets, that's a different situation. Yeah, I like that you mentioned like trying to find your boundary option maybe on the last ball. How um, how enticing is it to try and hit a boundary when the fielding team brings up the field to try and keep you away from the strike? Are you going, well, I'll take a boundary on. Hopefully, the guy down the other end, the girl down the other end can get me back on strike or are you still going, nope, I need to make sure I'm facing the next Yeah, ball. I would still be saying I want one. And that's, again, coming back to the theme of today. You know, It's not Longevity. just about winning that one ball. It's, it's the big picture. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so now you're starting to talk about they're sort of the things that you are trying to control most, facing the most balls. Um, what happens when we talk about things we can't control, like who's left to bowl? Like, yeah, yeah. W- when do you start thinking about um, who you're facing and who you want to target, essentially? Definitely. Matchups are super important, especially at the back end of an innings. You want to be identifying who's going to be bowling what overs. And again, these are things we can't control, and it's not always going to work out how you think it's going to work out. But if their best bowler's got three overs left in this instance, you're pretty much banking on them bowling at one end for the rest of the innings. Mm. Perhaps if they've they've um, used that their best bowler a little bit more and they bowled an extra over in the middle or at the start of the innings chasing a wicket, and then you've got perhaps a part-timer or Excellent. someone that you're a little bit more encouraged to take on, then you, you recognize that matchup. And then also going a step further is you and your partner identifying who you like to face. Perhaps their best bowler just bowls really fast and your partner loves the speed on the ball because they hit square of the wicket. So then it's identifying actually in this instance, it's okay for their best bowler to be bowling because you that's your strength. So then you're starting to get them to face more balls off that bowler. 
or perhaps they've got a spinner left and your strength spin. So again, you're facing more of these balls. And like we said at the start, it's not always going to work out exactly like that. We can't script how we bat and we can't script how we play cricket. But the more you're thinking about these things, the more likely they are to happen. And I saw an excellent example of that on the weekend where their best batter faced the most amount of balls. They scored boundaries early in the over, got off strike um, at the back end of the over. All of a sudden, it's really hard as a bowling team to bowl to. And it's almost there one step ahead of the game. I like it. I like that a lot. So the other thing I want to ask you is, do you have a number that you're happy to chase off the last over? Because often I think, let's say, um, one bowler in particular bowls four or five really good balls in a row where maybe you get caught off strike, maybe even yourself, you know, hit the ball to the fielders a few times. And like you said, you want to steer the game home. You want to be there at the end. So you don't want to take risk to get the six or the seven off the over you need. Um, Is there a number that you're saying, I'm happy not to take any risks because I'm happy to chase 12 off the last over? Like, what are you thinking? No, personally, I don't. It's obviously different and different what level you're playing at as well. Like, ultimately, the least amount... (laughs) to score in the last over the better Mm. Um, so I would actually steer the other way and if there is a risk to be taken in the second last over then I would encourage you to have the courage and trust to take that risk because ultimately when I was a fielding captain a lot of my thought process was let's just get this to the last last over over. anything can happen in the last over especially if you get a wicket if you've got a new batter coming in in the last over almost regardless of the situation i was happy to be the fielding team so i would actually go the opposite way there and it's not necessarily trying to slog every ball for six in the second last over but like we said perhaps it's with you running between the wickets Mm. yeah you might risk being run out knowing you're coming back for two rather than just taking the safe option and taking it into the last over so we watch on TV that six and over is a really comfortable rate for any professional team to go up. Bring that back down to sort of amateur level where we play. It can actually be quite challenging. So do you have boundary options in your head at this stage at six and over? Do you have purely single options? Are you just reacting to the ball? What kind of state are you in as a batter? I think you're combining all three there. You're definitely reacting to the ball, but you're understanding where your boundary options are going to be. Obviously, based off, like we said, the matchups, who's bowling and where the fields are, you want to know what your boundary option is going to be. The more we're thinking about these things, the more likely they are to happen. So if you're, bound, if, if you're good at the pull shot and you know that that's a boundary option, you want to be thinking about it. And then as soon as the ball gets bowled, you're more likely to go to it rather than getting bounced and then thinking after it oh i could have actually pulled that for four mm. so it's not premeditating it's just encouraging these things to happen more often by thinking okay if they do bowl short here square legs up i'm on and then you go back to reacting to the ball but you're more likely to react by playing the shot you want to play if you're thinking about these things in between balls and making sure you also still switch off in between balls so you're not um, overthinking the game but being aware of what could happen in this situation is going to allow you to adapt and react a little bit more often and, again, skew the results in your favour. I like it. All right. Is there anything else you want to touch on from batting point of view? Yeah, I think the last thing to touch on is the importance of communication between you and your partner. We just spoke about a lot of things about like perhaps taking a risk to come back for two, perhaps it's getting off strike, perhaps it's going to a boundary option. Just make sure you're communicating with your partner so they're aware. So if you're coming back for two when you wouldn't normally and 
perhaps it's a bit of a <gasps> moment. It's like we're not meant to get two here instead of the batter that's at the other end not committing because they're going, there's no two here. You're both on the same page. Mm. Or if it's getting off strike and you drop one at your toes, that batter at the non-strike is then taken off. So it's just, again, making sure that you're talking to your partner and you both know what the objective is so you're more likely to achieve that objective. All right, shall we do the same scenario from the fielding bowling point of yeah, view? Yeah, awesome. So I'm batting brown dog and I'm going at six six or needing six and over. Yeah. What are you doing as a bowler or perhaps a fielding captain, yep. like we said earlier, thinking about similar things? Yeah, I think I'll play the role as the fielding captain a little bit more. So 30 or 36 down, um, you're not at a stage where you're um, by any mean panicking. You're behind the game. It's probably pretty even. You've got probably two options there. And it's to try and identify who you're going to dry up. So build dot ball pressure, increase a run rate as quickly as possible. Or you might want to throw a bit of a gamble out there and bring back, you know, let's say your best bowler, try and get a wicket early. Mm, so I like that. So if you can get a wicket and bring in a new batter, not only is that going to completely change your mindset, which you said, Cam, that, you know, you're probably going to start to think about you need to face more balls. Um, you're going to be able to dry the um, runs up very quickly with a new batter in. So Definitely. Ch- changing the mindset of the in batter, also building pressure on the new batter. So if you're going down that route, um, you're probably bringing back your trump bowler, could be a leg spinner, could be your opening bowler, and you're attacking hard for a wicket. Yeah, awesome. So what are you thinking in terms of fields here? Are you, say, let's say you're there is one set batter and one fairly new batter mm. what are you thinking with your field settings yeah i think you go go straight away to your bowler and communicate how are we going to get in batter off strike what ball do we need to bowl what field do we need to set and how do we then keep um the less experienced batter on strike for as long as possible so let's say for example cam if i played you before i might say okay well let's put as a long side let's put um fine leg back square leg back mid wicket back we'll just roll um, a bouncer, let's say, cut it into the wicket. Hopefully, you'd pull it into the deep, get off strike. You, you've got a reactive pull shot, and then all of a sudden, the in other uh, non, the non in batter or the less experienced batter gets on strike. Um, and then we talk about okay, we're probably just going to try and bowl channel stumps. Let's make sure that our fielders in the ring are there's no one. Um, but then you still want to have like those um, fielders back where there's some streaky boundaries. So your third man obviously would mm. go back. Your fine leg would be back. Maybe even your um, deep square. If it's a non-experienced batter, you might want to just challenge their footwork. So if there's someone back there, they might be thinking short ball. Um, so you're just keeping them in the crease, playing from the crease as often as possible. And you spoke about the importance of when the new batter's in being in on the one. How do we get that? And also, is there other times where we might want them deeper or and also boundary fielders too? Where are they for each of these two batters? Yeah, excellent question. So uh, there is a time where we would want our fielders to be deeper when the uh, non-experienced batters on strike. So that would be obviously last ball of the over, maybe even second last ball of the over, encouraging singles um, to try and get them back on strike for the next over. Or... If we're looking into the outfield, we're thinking about being either in on the one, obviously trying to, um, again, try and force that in batter to get off strike, not allowing them to come back for two. Um, or, you know, you're thinking about deeper into the overs too, back end of the over, um, depending on who's on strike, you might be sitting as deep as possible or, again, coming in. So, yeah, you're definitely thinking about your position depending on who you're trying to keep on strike. And also touching on, like, the sweeper. So what about... 
the set batters on strike, mm. where am I as a sweeper? Because obviously we don't want boundaries, but we also don't want two. So what kind of, what are you telling your boundary fielders in that scenario? I think that's where it just comes back to a, a tactic of the team and you just got to be happy to um, take the outcome, whatever it is. So I think it comes back on the coach, potentially if there's tactics pre-game or it comes back to, um, the captain and the bowler just to be happy to live with whatever happens. So me personally, um, if I was bowling to the in batter, there's just no way that I'd want them to get back on strike. And, you know, if they were to nail a ball out of the screws and it bounced over the fielder's head for a one-bounce four, I would almost have to live with that scenario because I've made the decision that I want to make sure he doesn't get back on strike or she doesn't get back on strike. So I think it's very individual-based on what you're trying to achieve or what risk you're happy to take. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely saying make sure you're in. There's no two. Yeah, awesome. And if you are a boundary fielder there, I think it's that's the perfect time for you to own that position. You want to be placing yourself in a uh, position where you feel you can be comfortable enough to take a catch provided it does go over your head. But more importantly, like Brownie said, you're in a position there. If the ball just beats the infield, like if you're at, say, deep cover point, it's just beat point on the right or just point, uh, beat cover on the left that you're going to cover that ball and make sure it's only one and they're not getting back for two yeah and I think exactly like what you said Cam just coming from that fielding point of view before I'm trying everything I can to get the get to get the game to the last over um, the pressure in the last over um, I feel mounts more so on the batting than it does the bowling um, particularly in in sort of more amateur cricket so anything I can do to get to the ball uh, the game to the last over I'm doing Awesome. All right. Um, what else can we talk about here? What about um, your set batter gets out and you got two new batters? Mm. What are you doing as a fielding captain? Yeah, I think at that time, you're smelling blood in the water. You're trying to finish the game off as quick as possible, particularly when they're six down and you've taken two, which essentially is creating you know an eight down situation. If you only have them four down and you go bang, bang, five, six, yes, they're new batters, but they're very capable batters mm. at the same time. So I think if you're talking at a six-down scenario, blood in the water, you're trying to finish the game as quickly as possible, great time to bring back, again, your best two bowlers. If you were saving them for the 49th and the 50th over, bring them back now. Try and kill the game where you can. If there's ever an opportunity to win it, I think you try and take it then and there. All right, last question, and this is a tough question. You've got a set batter in and a new batter in, and they bat for a little period of time, which will be the question, and then the set batter gets out. How long do you need that what was the new batter but now they're the in batter how long do you need them to be out there is it a certain amount of balls face certain amount of runs scored for you to treat them as a set batter as opposed to perhaps treating them yeah. as two new batters yeah i know exactly what you're saying and that is a sensational question because this is something we speak a lot about and something we can be in total control over as that not so in batter who's turning into an in batter and it's purely based i reckon off persona mm. when you start to notice confidence when you start to notice a you know particular strut or chest out about this kind of batter you know that there's some confidence there and once a batter's confident i don't necessarily see them as a, a new batter anymore so i think for me it's not so much or they face 10 balls or they've hit a couple of boundaries it's what does their body language look like when you see their body language and the way they're moving or communicating or let's say, how enthusiastic they are or how much belief they have. And you can read all that um, purely based off body language. And maybe you might hear a bit of communication between the batters. I don't know, but I, de I definitely think it's a body language thing. Couldn't it? Just a brilliant answer. Body language is a... Often remember, 
if you're looking at the opposition, their body language is them telling you what they're thinking in their mind. Sometimes they're putting that on, but often it's that it's just a subconscious thing. So when you see this body language in the opposition, you can start to understand what's going through their mind. So that's a fantastic answer there, Brownie. We've um we've gone super over time here, which has been super enjoyable. We could talk about this stuff for for ages, but we have a program to get to. We do. So let's um let's finish this off with the holistic tip of the week, brought to you by. The man of the moment, Cameron Weir. Oh, I thought we got a new sponsor. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, holistic tip of the week, not the My Peak tip of the week. Sorry, yes. The holistic tip of the week. No, no, that was me. Is This week, it's about preparation again. And our tip this week is just a more understanding. So preparation doesn't start the night or the day before game. Our preparation starts on the Monday. I think that's something to understand as young cricketers out there and athletes as well that what you do throughout the week will influence how you're feeling and what you're doing on Friday. So to give you an example, if you think your preparation starts on Friday and you need to drink a lot of water, well, if you have to rush a lot of water in to get you hydrated, that might affect your sleep. And therefore, your preparation has suffered because you prioritize it starting on the Friday rather than starting it at the start of the week and understanding, okay, Thursday, I've got a big session. I make sure... Wednesday, I'm smashing my water. So once Thursday comes to an end, I'm not as dehydrated as what I would have been. I wake up Friday and I don't have to get as much water into me as opposed to not thinking about that at all. So that's just a little example. And then the also benefit of it is is you can start to, in similar instances as that one, you can start to plan when you might do certain things. Is it a harder session on the Friday or is Mm. it perhaps your harder session on the Wednesday and then also looking at things as a whole rather than just an individual piece on that Friday night. And obviously Friday night's better than nothing, but I think everyone listening to this episode today should be at a, at a period where they're prioritizing their preparation because they know the importance it has on our performance. And now we want to make sure that that starts on the Monday and it's going throughout the whole week rather than just on the Friday night. Yeah, I got some really similar advice to that, Cam, when I was, I reckon, around 17, just before I was um, an adult. And your successes on Saturday, um, we tried to celebrate them on Sundays as a club or as a coach and a, a student, but come Monday, you were back to zero runs or you were back to zero wickets because your preparation started that day. I think it's easy to ride the success for that week leading into the game. You know, you, you're chatting at training, you're the talk of the town, you've scored 100 and everyone's getting around you and you know because of that sometimes your preparation can slip because you're sort of in that mindset of i've just scored this i've just taken this many wickets but if you can shut that out come monday your preparation then becomes consistent gives you the best chance of success awesome all right that's a big episode today if you have any questions about any of the strategy awareness or you have anything that you thought uh that could be brought up during that episode today please reach out to us the my peak team and until then we'll catch you next time on the my peak podcast